0: al jazeera podcast hundreds of people from several african countries have been ordered out of tunisia but are barred entry to neighboring libya many including women and children say they have no food water or shelter and are relying on aid to survive why are they there and what's next for them i'm Jamjoum, and you're listening to the inside story podcast where we dissect analyze and help define major global stories All right, let's go ahead and bring in our panel of guests. From Washington, D.C., Lauren Seibert works for Human Rights Watch as a researcher on refugee and migrant rights. She's communicating directly with migrants stuck on the border between Libya and Tunisia. From the capital, Tunis, Amin Snoussi is a political analyst and specialist on Tunisian politics. And from New Haven in the United States, Ahlam Shemlali is a Ph.D. candidate at the Danish Institute for International Studies, Her research focuses on migration and border policies in Tunisia, Libya, the Mediterranean, and the southern borders of Europe. A warm welcome to you all, and thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Uh, Lauren, let me start with you today. You are in touch with many of the migrants and asylum seekers that are stuck on the border between Tunisia and Libya. What's the latest you're hearing from them? How dire is the situation they are facing, and are they receiving any help?
1: Um... Thank you so much. The situation is only getting worse. Uh, right now, I was just speaking with one of them who sent me photos and videos and an audio recording just saying that—alleging that the Tunisian security forces now are—have been beating people, uh, firing shots in the air. And then yesterday, they were they had told me that the Libyans—that uh, armed Libyan men in uniform had been also doing the same. But well, firing shots in the air and pushing them back, although not beating people. So today, it just seems that it just seems that they're just caught in the middle with no one to help.
0: Uh, Lauren, let me also ask you. Also ask you uh, Human Rights Watch is urging uh, Tunisia to stop the expulsion of these migrants. Have you and your colleagues been able to communicate directly with any Tunisian officials, uh, and have you gotten any response?
1: We have sought to communicate with Tunisian officials and and have not received any official response, nor any further information about uh, this seeming campaign of rounding people up in Sfax in particular, and then uh, arbitrarily detaining and then expulsing them, expelling them to the border in groups of hundreds. Uh, No, they have not commented
0: to us on this. Ahlam, um, from your vantage point and based on all the research that you have done, what might happen next to the people stuck in this no man's land and, and how worrying is the situation for them?
2: Thank you. Uh, this is a very worrying situation. Um, and it's also, unfortunately, uh, only the latest in a long chain of events that uh, we have, unfortunately, seen similar situations over happening over the past year. And what eventually happens is uh, nothing. They are left to fend for themselves. Eventually, they will find ways the situation will calm down. And this is uh, the problem. We will continue to see situations like this in the absence of a uh, political and official political uh, framework on migration from the Tunisian side, and as well EU pressures that are continuing to uh, pressure Tunisia to manage migrants uh, and asylum seekers in the country.
0: Ahlam, you brought up politics, and I want to ask you about an incident that occurred in February. That's when Tunisian President Kais Saied gave a speech where he talked about migrants from sub-Saharan Africa who come to Tunisia and bring with them, quote, violence, crime, and unacceptable practices. That speech that he gave was widely decried by many rights organizations as being racist. Do you feel that Qais Sa'id is in some way responsible for the increase in anti-migration sentiment and the racial tensions that we've seen explode over the course of the past few weeks.
2: The match was certainly lit by the now infamous speech by President Kay Said in February, when he exactly invoked the Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory. Uh, but this is also speaking to underlying anti-black sentiments in Tunisian society. And we've also seen in, in recent months and weeks, uh, other Tunisian uh, politicians and official also uh, putting fire gas to the fire uh, with, uh, different kinds of uh, situations where they put uh, migrants in the cause of, for instance, they're spreading tuberculosis or they are criminals. So he, in fact, uh, ignited the fire, but it has been brewing in the country and also brewing because of, of lack of political action.
0: I mean, uh, it looks like, you know, you want to jump in, so I'm going to give you that chance. But what do you say? Uh, did those words that we heard from President Sayed help stoke a lot of the racial tensions that we're seeing right now? And and what is the overall public sentiment when it comes to migrants in Tunisia right now from the public?
3: Well, thank you. I think there there is a strong link between what, that, what happened in February. That statement led to a lot of conspiracy theories about migrants. Uh, a, a lot of responsibility uh, towards um, immigration. Now people generally believe that immigration is an issue, is an economical issue. People believe that they don't have um, uh, a job, or they, or, or I've heard people saying um, when I was doing interviews in Sfax um, about uh, they saying that food, food shortages are because of uh, the migrants that are here. But food shortages are everywhere in Tunisia. Every single economical issue um, has been has been used um, against m- migrants, and this. Um, is also because we've been living in a constant conspiracy theory um, um, situation in the last two years. Uh, a lot of political actors, including President Faisal, the government, uh, played uh, the conspiracy card whenever they, they had the chance. Um, this led to a lot of uh, fake news, a lot uh, of uh, informations that were not verified and that were Uh, used to accuse migrants of everything.
0: Uh, I mean, you mentioned uh, speaking to people on the ground in Sfax, and I want to ask you about that. Even before what's going on right now, what were conditions like for the migrants who had gotten to Sfax and who were trying to use Sfax as a departure point going forward?
3: Well, th- there is there is two things to take into account here. There are migrants um, uh, who came to Sfax and stayed there and lived there and worked there with no further objective to go to Europe. And um, from what they've told me, uh, racism was always here. Of course, discrimination was always here. Of course, we we, we said that Tunisia had uh, very had had difficulties to deal with. Uh, racism and to put the legal framework and, and the political response to racial discriminations. Uh, and legal migrants that were hoping to get to Europe um, have been in very difficult situations in the past years. But what changed, what put that target on their back? Is the statement of February because it it accused them of trying to alter a Tunisian demographic, of being responsible for um, crimes in Tunisia, etc. This led to people, um, to people focusing on them, to media focusing on every single um, crime that can be committed uh, by a black person in Tunisia, and having long debates and weeks of the, the media discussions about immigration, which never happened before.
0: Uh, Lauren, I saw you reacting to some of what Amin was saying there, and it looked like you wanted to jump in. So please go ahead.
1: Oh, just just that I just that I absolutely agreed. Unfortunately, uh, it's it's black Africans, uh, West and Central Africans, and uh, you know non-Tunisian African migrants and asylum seekers who are receiving the blame for these for these issues. Unfortunately, it's easy to scapegoat people who who can be marginalized quite easily, but. That's it. The, the solution. Is more complicated
0: than that. Uh, will we see UN workers, aid agencies, be able to get access to these migrants and help them anytime soon?
1: I certainly hope so. It would be absolutely inhuman if if neither government on either side allowed uh, aid and access, because we have reports that even that children are are having to drink seawater for lack of sufficient water. That people are are really hungry. Have they don't have enough food. Um, and so, it really, it's it's incumbent on the Tunisian government, as the responsible party here, to allow humanitarian aid to, to get in and, and at least, at minimum, provide medical care and food and water to these people, which include children.
0: Ahlam, um, Tunisia is under pressure by Europe to stop migrants from leaving Fox, and that's become as we've said before in this program, a major departure point for migrants. Um, the EU has also proposed giving Tunisia a billion-dollar aid package. Uh, President Sayed has said that Tunisia would not be a border guard for Europe. What role is all of that playing in this?
2: Uh, it's playing a, a huge and central role. And it's true that uh, Kay Saeed has said that uh, Tunisia will not turn into Europe's border guard or or policeman, but in reality, uh, they are already, because for years, uh, Tunisia has been receiving millions and millions of euro from the EU to manage migration, uh, to bolstering their national guard, their borders, and their coast guards. Um, And also, at the same time, not putting in place any migration policy or Framework um, to govern the presence of all the migrants, thousands of migrants in the country, that are either um, been intercepted by the Tunisian Coast Guard and brought back to the country or already residing there. And and this leaves again, uh, as also already been mentioned, uh, thousands of, of people stranded in a state of informality, uh, in marginalization and unable to regularize their status, unable to uh, access uh, the formal labor market. And, and this is why we are seeing people uh, living on the edges of, of society.
0: Ahlam, you know, we're talking right now about what's going on right at this moment, but this has been going on for some time now. I mean, in 2018, I went on a reporting trip to Zarzis in the southeast of Tunisia. At that time, there were hundreds of bodies that were being found on the beaches every day. These were migrants and asylum seekers and refugees who had tried to leave Libya. They drowned in the Mediterranean. Their bodies were washing up in Zarzis. I met a man there, a volunteer for the Red Crescent. Uh, he was... He was essentially raising money to bury these migrants because he wanted to give them some dignity in death. And the reason I bring this up is because, sadly, this situation only seems to get worse, does it not?
2: It's true. Um, and again, uh, of fear of repeating myself, it comes back to uh, the non-migration policy from the Tunisian side, the reluctance uh, to reform any uh, migration uh, or asylum systems in the country uh, of fear for becoming a European hotspot, uh, and a valid fear as well, because the the European part uh, is continuing to pressure to uh, make or transform Tunisia into this new so-called safe third country, which we are witnessing and seeing now is, is not the case. Um, and so there's this ongoing negotiation between Tunisia and the EU uh, in, in an obvious uh, asymmetric power relation about migration so while they have been bolstering their uh you know border control with support from the EU internal migration policy has been left on the back burner and that's why we haven't seen any changes
0: I mean um whatever happens between the EU and Tunisia the fact of the matter is that Tunisia right now is facing a political crisis and it's also facing economic collapse how does the country move forward at this stage
3: um, well, that's the interesting um, question is that to, as we mentioned, uh, the government refused to to kind of refuse that deal with Europe and uh, saying that we won't we won't do border control for Europe, but um it's the only thing that the government can negotiate on. It's the only way to convince far-right leaders such as Meloni or um, or um, Dutch prime minister um, to vouch for uh, Tunisia and to vouch for Tunisia during the IMF negotiations. Um, however, the economical um, crisis has been going on for, ye- for years now. W- what is uh, new is that Tunisia is, is incapable in the recent, in the last t- two years, to 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 form alliances with other countries uh built on economical interests um now we are seeing alliances uh that are based on um political ideology and the fact that um the, the Tunisia is allying with Italy um based on the idea that none of them wants uh immigrants uh, m- migrants and which is um, which, which is sad in a way because it's, it, it was never um, it was never a major issue in Tunisia. It became one, and it became um, a, a major a, ma- a major subject because we chose to blame migrants for all of our economical issues.
0: Um, I mean, let me also ask you. You know, there are groups that are saying that what has gone on in in Sfax and expulsion of migrants may constitute a violation of international law. Is there any contingent of the government in Tunisia that is worried that this might actually be an international law violation and that Tunisia could face repercussions because of that?
3: Well, if if we remember what happened in February, um, after Bissah did that statement, uh, what happened? Um, was that every black person in Tunisia was threatened to um, get evicted from his his home, to get fired from his job, because people were fearing um, that the government will come for them. Um, What is happening right now is that the people themselves are attacking black people in Sfax. What is also happening right now, from what I've heard today, uh, sources tell me that uh even public trans- transport um uh, is now being checked uh every day to see if there's if there's uh black people und- undocumented migrants and uh, if there is um the the agents will also get sanctions. There is really um, a witch hunt going on right now in Sfax. Uh, and yes, that could, that can be and definitely is uh, a, violation, a violation of human rights, a violation of international law. Mm. Uh, but I don't think the government is... Uh, I don't think the government's main goal is to respect international law.
0: Lauren, I saw that you wanted to jump in. Go ahead.
1: Yes, I would absolutely agree that this is a violation of international law. It's not a maybe; it's a certainly, because as I mentioned, people are being arbitrarily detained and arrested with that is not following a legal process, and they are being uh, expelled in in mass groups of hundreds, and this is called collective expulsion or mass expulsion, which is uh, which is prohibited under under international law. Specifically, African regional international human rights law prohibits mass expulsions linked to uh, racial or ethnic or national groups, which is exactly what's happening here. Um, and I think the EU certainly, as others have, have rightly mentioned, the EU also needs to consider how is its, how is its stance is impacting the outcome here of what plays out. I think offering money, but then sort of making it contingent on migration control and placing such a heavy emphasis on that is not going to solve the problems. And that conditionality needs to be removed from any further Uh, from any further offer of aid on the EU's part.
0: Lauren, is it not a fact that no matter what policies countries try to put in place to curb migration, no matter what deals are made, people who are desperate to escape war and poverty, people who are trying to provide a better and more secure life for themselves and for their families are going to attempt to take these journeys no matter how desperate they are? Is that not the case?
1: yes and and that that brings back to the 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 cause the drivers of migration in people's countries of origin which are certainly a a much better place place to focus to focus efforts and trying to address you know issues human rights violations political uh violations um issues that push people to flee in the first place and as long as there are no there are insufficient uh, regular pathways for migration to countries of safety, people will try these irregular, dangerous routes. I've spoken to people who've tried again and again because they are desperate and there is no legal pathway available to them. And so that is another thing that the the EU can do that will actually help is expand legal pathways and make them accessible to people who might not have the money or the sponsors or the contacts to go through certain certain, uh, channels for visas.
0: But Lauren, if I could just ask one more question: Do you expect that the EU would actually try to do that?
1: It has, in fact, in its uh, mig- migration management uh, funding efforts with with Africa in many different countries. Part of, if you look at the the projects that they're actually implementing, such as that were funded by the EU Trust Fund for Africa and all these things, they have there are multi pronged. And part of it does include, especially in recent recent funding, more recent funding efforts, do include uh, a focus on legal pathways and expanding them. But it is a relatively minor focus. If you look at these documents, they also talk about increasing, you know, the capacity of border control and and controlling migration and and the the Coast Guard and the security forces as well. So to me, it's it's really mm. uh, problematic that the emphasis is is more on securitization than it really is on the solutions. So the, there are some efforts, but definitely more could be done.
0: Ahlam, from your perspective, what needs to be done to improve the situation? I, I mean, are there concrete steps that could actually be taken right now? And is there political willpower to take those steps?
2: Yes, and that's the most important question. Um, I think in, for the Tunisian case, uh, it is the central key issue is the absence of an official migration policy and asylum law. And without that, we will continue to see these tensions coming in uh, in waves uh, and clashes between uh, Tunisians and, and migrants uh, again. And, and from the EU side, obviously, as, as just uh, underlined, Uh, by Lauren is that uh, an increased focus on safe and legal pathways is one way of doing it. And also we know from research very clear that uh, increasing border control does not stop migration. It, in fact, only makes it more dangerous because it pushes people to take more longer uh, routes and uh, increase use of smuggling or criminal networks. Uh, so it's an approach that is doomed to fail. And, and this is why it, it, it's important that uh, the securitization in migration uh, is, is is an issue that, that needs to be uh, discussed. And from the EU side, uh, it's really important. I mean, they've been silenced so far, and we've seen it before in cases uh, also in, in February. Um, so it's really crucial that uh, the EU steps up and, uh, and pres- put pressure on Tunisia to reform its policy, but also to hold back on on more securitization as well.
0: And Ahlam, as we heard in Kulsoom's report earlier, uh, the migrants uh, and, and the, the asylum seekers that are stuck in this no-man's land between Tunisia and Libya, they're looking for any way out right now. Uh, but in the last few years, we've repeatedly seen more and more uh, members of the international community essentially turn their backs on migrants, on refugees, on people who are stuck in really dire and desperate situations. Um, is anybody going to step in to help
2: yeah, and that's and that is a, a really a sad reality. Um, I, when I did my field work in Tunisia as well, especially in the southern part, uh, where you have many of these issues, and also migrants and asylum seekers from Libya, uh, UNHCR and IOM, who are present in in Tunisia, were cut severely in their funding. Um, so the humanitarian infrastructure is is really uh, under pressure as well, and and this is also another issue. Uh, who? will be there to help and who will be there to to support the migrants. Um, I recently also just spoke to some of the migrants I know, and and they're in Tunis right now, but they're fearful for what's happening in Sfax and now beginning to think, where should we go next? But they know they can go to Algeria, you have mass deportations there as well. They can go to Libya, Uh, you have a a crisis in its own that's too dangerous. Mm -hmm. So for many, again, the Mediterranean, becomes the only last desperate solution.
0: Uh, I mean, uh, we only have a couple of minutes left, but I saw you nodding along to some of what Ahlam was saying there, and it looked like you wanted to jump in, so please go ahead.
2: Um,
3: I was just uh, I was just agreeing with what has been said, and I think that what Tunisia needs to do is to prosecute anyone who harassed or who attacked migrants in the past few days, because I think that's the, also an important issue. Um, what is going on is horrible and inhumane. But w- besides that, Tunisian people, not only security forces that are that are deporting people, Tunisian people are becoming aggressive and hateful towards black people in Tunisia and to, towards migrants. This is a very dangerous situation for them. And uh, I wish we could... Um, we could take this seriously and um, seriously condemn those those attacks against
0: migrants. Sorry to interrupt. I'll let you finish here in a second. But I just want to add that there have been reports out there that there are groups of Tunisian people who are acting very humanely and trying to help these migrants that are stuck in this terrible situation.
3: Yes, of course. And that is is the important work and amazing work. But um, uh, I'd like to see sanctions against people who attacked uh, the migrants and black people because um, if we let this go unpunished, I think it will only lead to more violence and I think it will only lead to more clashes. Um, four years ago, uh, when we had a parliament uh, democratic parliament uh, Tunisia voted a law against uh, racism and a symbolic law that only led to um, to, 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 a, to an image that we are trying to fight against racism, but not the, uh, not the, uh, not the f- legal framework we expected. But um, now we are having uh, people being attacked just because they're, bl- they're black. And, and that's the, the, the thing Tunisia needs to condemn uh, quickly.
0: All right. Well, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Lawrence Seibert, Amin Snoussi, and Ahlam Shimlali. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Omekal Sum sumsharif Sarah Gill, and Jim Gilchrist. Studio sound was by Yara Atallah. The program was edited by Yorgos Florokapis, Khaled Sultan, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Monday for our next edition. This week on The Take, our two-part series on the violence that's returned to Darfur, We take a look back at the 20-year history and ask why it was so hard to save Darfur then and now. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.